Let's Talk Teams is brought to you by Uptick. If you've ever felt distant from your team at work or if your one-on-one -on -one meetings feel aimless, Uptick can help you get on the same page and will give you a kickstart in forming better relationships with the people on your team. If you're interested in a free trial, go to uptick.com for more information. In this episode, I chat with my friend Eric Johnson, the CFO of the Americas for Board Riders Inc. Yeah, he used to be a pretty serious finance guy, but now he's kind of a surfer dude. Anyway, I was particularly intrigued in our chat when he talked about how trust and truth are the keys to having a great team. Hope you enjoy it. Now, Eric, you and I have talked a little bit beforehand about this, but I, I have this view of the corporate culture of, you know, Board Riders Inc., where people are wearing board shorts, they've got, you know, body piercing, stuff like that. Is that sort of the way it works in your culture? Absolutely. I mean, we've got everything from tattooed people and purple hair all the way down to corporate executives who are geeks like me. Um, nice, nice. Well, Flip-flops are essential and sand between your toes or, or, uh, uh, or salt water in your hair are essential. Okay, so that's a metric for your performance reviews then, right? So uh, Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, to be honest, it you know was it's maybe not so much in performance reviews, but as we look for people and work to attract talent into the business, you know, we really do. As we're building corporate culture, we're trying to find people that are enthusiastic about the sports and the lifestyle, you know, that we engage in and engage with our customers in. So, it's it's we do look for like-minded people that are passionate about what we do. For sure. Now, do you spend some time um listening to your teams and stuff like that about their experience in this space? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think to be successful in any, and really in any space, you've got to listen to your employees. You've got to really listen to your customers. And I put value on both of those, um, to be honest. Um, a lot of people over the years have said, you know, the customer's number one, that's really important. I go, yeah, but I think it's just as important to listen to your employees because they're the ones that help you execute the business and the business plan that engages the customer. So both are equally important in my view. Now, when you get started with, with board riders, um, were you a surfer dude? Were you, were you like already in that world? No, I was a geek who wore a tie every day and, uh, <laughs> and honestly a suit. I came out of, I've, I'm fortunate, I've, been, I've had a 27-year career and I really, um, I've worked in two industries. I started in the uh, uh, heavy, uh, heavy industry working for a power company, um, which is more formal um, and more uh, what I'll call classic in its corporate, yeah. co corporate culture. And then about uh, 15 years ago, I moved into what we call the outdoor, the action sports space. Okay. Um, which is more casual, which is more um, lifestyle focused, and the environment's a bit more of a created envi creative environment. You know, as I think about my company, we're really a design house, and mm -hmm. and the creativity that pours out of this place from product development to marketing, um, it's really unique and uh, uh, tells a different story than kind of a classic consumer goods type of product. You know, I I, I love Dilbert, right? I was looking at some Dilbert cartoons <laughs> just yesterday. And I think what you just said seems to be the antithesis of that. Like how, what does it look like when you walk into your offices? You say it's a creative space. Is there, is there anything you're doing there that helped foster that? You know, it's, it's fun when you, I actually enjoy walking into the building each day because one of the things that, that you, you get is you're constantly inspired by the imagery and the memorabilia that's around the office. For example, when I walk in the door each day, I walk down a row that has all of the classic board shorts that um, uh, one of our brands has issued over the last 40 years. Oh my um, and they're memorialized on the wall as you walk in. 
And then as you look to your right, there's a whole row of classic surfboards that were ridden by our team riders in championships or in big wave events, you know, wow. over the last uh, over the last 40 years. Our company is nearly a 50 year old company. It was born in Australia, kind of grew up globally. And so there's also influences as you, as you look around of all the team riders that have ridden for us over the years. We've got Brazilians, Frenchmen, Italians, Americans, Australians, Hawaiians. And hmm. all of that imagery and all of that memorabilia is all around you as you move through the building. There's places that are organized chaos. Design <laughs> areas are filled with samples and drawings and um, storyboards and, and just the, the creativity that comes out of you know, product development in the apparel, footwear, and accessory space. And so it's really a lot of fun. Um, I find it to be a really inspiring space um, because we've been able to curate a lot of that uh, history, you know, as you as you move through the building, couldn't have imagined yourself where you are today at a at a place where they've got surfboards on the wall. <laughs> it was <laughs> but, not on the radar at the time. No, no, but but what were the things that, um, as an employee, before you got into management, what were the things that you wished your manager knew? What were the positive experiences? Maybe a, a story that was hard for you when you first got started. Yeah, good question. I mean. I think when you're at the beginning of your career, you want to know that you're learning the the technical aspects of the job, that you're really learned those and mastered those. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the feedback that I, I wanted early on as I was getting established in my career was that I wanted to know, am I showing proficiency and progress in my mastery of the fundamentals of the job? And so a lot of the time in my, my reviews early on, you know, I was seeking the feedback. Am I meeting? Am I meeting the the milestones that I right. felt like I should have for myself, or that my managers had for me in terms of of achievement? You know, as you're you're starting your career, you're really trying to get yourself established and start totally. building your reputation. And at that time, your reputation is built on technical technical skills mastery, and generally also, do you have a good work ethic, and are you pleasant to work with? Right. So a lot of the a lot of the feedback that I would seek and a lot of the conversation that I had with my managers and, and leadership at the time really was centered around that. Um, and the big question in my head is how fast can I get up the ladder to get, you know, get more responsibility and get more money, just to be blunt. Right. No, I get it. Well, and you live in Southern California. You need more money to eat. Right. So, <laughs> so it's like, just a little. Yeah. Well, when you. Did you have regular meetings with management where they gave you constructive feedback? Was it something that you had to solicit? Did they come to you? How did that work initially? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, when I first started in our company, our company was small. We weren't kind of a classic startup, but we were a company that was generating about $500 million in revenue um, when I first joined them. And I was at the bottom of the ladder. I was just a staff accountant in the accounting department. Mm -hmm. And over time... Um, you know, over the span of about six years, seven years, our company grew from um, a $500 million company to a $3.5 billion company. Rapid, wow. growth, rapid growth through acquisition and, and uh, new project development. Mm -hmm. And it was really a fun time, but it was, you know, it's kind of chaotic when you're in those moments. And I probably got less feedback in the annual direct uh, you know, uh, performance review, then I got along the way and I stopped seeking it in that annual performance review. And I was mm -hmm. looking for cues and questions along the way from the people that I was working with and also from my leader uh, that I was working for during that okay. time. So it was kind of a, 
not it was an unstructured environment when it came to performance reviews early on and it did become more structured um, over that seven eight years during those mm -hmm. rapid years of, of growth um, uh, but I to be honest Chris I always uh, sought the the informal uh, feedback you know on a more regular basis and I had managers that were very good at providing that and were, mm -hmm. were champions of me and mentors of me. And then I had people that I had to work for for a few years that frankly weren't very good at it. It wasn't their strong suit. Um, uh, and generally in those moments, I'd, I'd look for feedback uh, from other people. Yeah, well, clearly you're an initiative taker, you're an achiever, or you wouldn't be in the role that you're <laughs> in. But I'm guessing that you probably had some friends or, or, or coworkers at the time where maybe they weren't, they weren't as aggressive as you were at seeking out feedback. Yeah. Were there were there any systems in place for them or did they just eventually kind of just, you know, kind of leave the leave the company by osmosis? They just kind of filtered out. Yeah, they disperse. I mean, that that happened. That definitely happens um, and happened, you know, in the early years of the company, when things were less structured and less formalized uh, around um, reviews, a lot of people did leave um, because. My sense was they either they either became unsatisfied with the quality of their their work or their feedback. They weren't given additional opportunities, or they frankly didn't like their boss or the people that they worked with, and yeah. so they'd leave and go on to you know to new opportunities where they where they had more of a chance to grow. I've always I've I've thrived in both unstructured and structured environments, mm -hmm. and I find that people you know based on maybe your personality profile. People look for both. There are some people yep. that thrive in an unstructured environment and an unstructured feedback uh, loop, and there's people that want that structure. Sometimes that depends on the function that you're in. Sometimes that depends on the the personality type, you know, that you are. Okay, so when you so you developed a little bit of a feel for how you like to receive feedback. So yeah. you, know, you were aggressive. You knew what your goals were right away. Hey, look, want to want to move up in the company. Want to have more influence. Want to make more money. I mean, it's just it's it's an ambitious person's perspective. You wanted to go Correct. for it. So Correct. when you when you first got into a management role, okay, now somebody's yeah. reporting to you. Yeah. What did that feel like? Like, okay, you're going to work, and today, you know, Jim is going to report to me. What was that like? <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because um, it takes a little while to feel the to feel the weight of what that responsibility means. Um, and it was interesting because I generally had younger people working for me at mm -hmm. the time, so it was a little bit natural because the hierarchy of age and experience was more um, readily. It was more apparent. And right. it was more uh, easily respected than if I say had more experienced people older than me working for me. Mm -hmm. um, so when I initially started, um, uh, I would say that I was a little bit nervous, but not too nervous because I figured I can take what I know and transfer it to the, the couple of people that are working for me. And what I discovered over time is that it takes a lot more effort than I thought. Um, um, people have emotions, people need guidance, people need uh, direction, people need feedback on how well they're doing uh, uh, or, or not doing, frankly. And early on, I was probably more of a natural encourager and a coach, but I didn't always give the uh, critical feedback that that person needed to develop, to develop as a person or perform better. 
Um, right. uh, it was easier to avoid the conflicts than it was to just delve right into them and and understand how to work through them. And those are nat- those naturally come when you're dealing with people. Um, right. uh, conflict comes. Coaching is required, and coaching is both positive and constructive. And sometimes it's just flat out negative. You messed up in this area. You need to know that you had a material impact. Now we've got to figure out what we're going to do about this going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, it's I'll, I'll let people that are watching this know that, you know, Eric and I have known each other for, I don't know, 25 or 30 years. So it's been yeah. a long time. And yeah. My experience of you is that you're just a natural encourager. You're just a positive, natural guy. How did you approach people when you had constructive feedback, particularly if they weren't open to it? How did you kind of overcome your own reticence to do that? Because naturally, you're, uh, hey, you're doing a great job. Here's how you can do a little bit. Yeah. But sometimes you need to come down and, and, and you know, give the honest truth. How did you feel about it? How did you handle it? I recognized from some critical reviews that I had gotten from people that I respected. When I got those critical reviews, it took me a little while to understand that their, their desire was to see me improve and develop as a person and also perform better as a as an employee and as a and as a teammate and it took me a little while to really understand that that's a fundamental part of you know the the organizational development and team development um you don't get better by constantly being you know complimented you don't get better by constantly being just encouraged the tone should be encouraging but you've got to wade into the tough stuff also and because yeah. honestly, people succeed in areas of their work and they fail in other areas of the work. And if we don't talk about what's happening in the failures or the difficulties, then we can't course correct and, and try to improve as a as a team. And the other thing right. that I learned along the way, too, was that, you know, as you as you elevate in responsibility, you're not just responsible for yourself and how you perform. You really are accountable and responsible for how your team performs and you become more judged by how your team's performing, um, it's a signal of how you're performing. And so yeah. being able to effectively develop your team, give them feedback, uh, both positive, negative, constructive, and sometimes, you know, I got to fire people, which I've had to do yeah. um, because they haven't been willing to turn the corner or, or weren't sure. able to turn the corner. You got to make a change. And that's as important in a, a business environment you know, as encouragement. And I've just successively learned those lessons from mentors and learned how to do those things, largely from mentors. I've, I've mm-hmm. been a little bit of a book reader, but mm-hmm. I've been more of I've been more of a learn from from the people that are that are doing it day to day than just from the, the, the you know, the, the the books that came out around theory. I'm I'm it's it's my wiring. I don't like to read. I like to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're a relational guy, and I get that. You know, it's like yeah. when, you, when you have a relational guy. And you 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 hit on something there that was interesting to me because I think what you're saying in a sense is, look, I if I'm going to care about these people, and if I'm going to care about their personal and professional development, I need to give them some feedback of th- of blind spots, things they may not see, or ways that they can grow in their career. You know, you specifically stated that you grew because people gave you constructive, critical feedback, that you, you're you yep. like, look, this helped me grow. I, I tell a little story occasionally about a book that I'd like to write someday, which is, you know, I'm amazing, right? I mean, <laughs> how, how, do, how, do the, how do these terrible people got an American Idol? How do, you know, you know, how do people think that they're better than they are? Well, because nobody will tell them the truth, right? That's right. So, so I wanna write that book called I'm Amazing and you know, how not to know you're amazing. And the way to do that 
you know, of course, is to grab people by the lapels, throw them against the wall and say, tell me the truth, you know, <laughs> because people are nice. Right. You know, and that's that's you know, it's funny that you say that. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I was as I was thinking through our conversation today, you know, one of the questions you ask me is what's essential in management? Hmm. And and I really find that trust and truth are really critical to establish with my team. I need to build their trust in me that I will lead them effectively. And I need to build my trust with them that we can work together to accomplish the goals that we've set out for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But you can't accomplish trust without truth. You've right. got to be able, and truth is both the good and the bad. Truth is, um, hey, we've had a success in this area and we're going to celebrate that. Truth is also, this isn't working over here. This is broken. This is suffering. Um, and we need to correct it. Both are required for truth and trust to be established. And, so and I really focus on that as I work with my teams. Yeah. How do you do that? How, how do you how do you build trust with your teams? Yeah, um, I find that I have to. Um, it's constant communication. It's okay. not just a weekly meeting or it's not just an annual review. But I, I can, when I'm at my best, I manage by walking around, which means yeah. I'm out of my office. I'm talking to people, connecting with them casually. Sometimes it's at the cooler, the you know, what we call the water cooler. Right, Ours might right. be a Ours might be a beer cooler on Fridays, um, right, right, but right. you know it's 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 really it's it's the it's the in between connections that I think help build trust and the conversation. The conversation is right. always ongoing. It's doing lunches. It's connecting with them for a coffee. It's um, dropping in when I know that their schedule's uh, open and having a ten to fifteen minute conversation. How are you doing? Um, and a lot of the time, it's more listening than talking. Um, you know, just along the way, you know, what's going on with so, uh, what's going on with this situation? What's going on with this project? How is this person doing? And and I'm pleased because most of my direct reports now do the same thing with me. They actively walk around or will drop into my office because I keep my door open. Um, and my door is kind of the gateway. It's if it's open, come in. If it's closed, it's closed. Right. And I noticed that with each one of my key um, VPs or directors, they actually rotate and will come in periodically through the day. So to me, that's a signal that as I've nurtured these relationships, the mm. trust is building because they feel confident they can come in and tell me. And they do. They tell me when we've had a success. They tell me when we have a problem. Mm. Um, um, and they tell me when something's up uh, with with people. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I love that. The, the the question I have is this. Okay, so I think we all as managers have had the experience where um, we'll set out a goal at the beginning of a quarter or beginning of a whatever time period, quarter, year, whatever, and the tyranny of the urgent comes up, and yes. you know, you know, we go mock two with our hair on fire, and the yep. next thing we know, we get to the end of the quarter and we're looking at our goals and we're like, I didn't even think about that goal since the day we set it out at the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. How, how do you, um, do you have regular meetings with your staff to talk about their priorities, to make sure they're prioritizing the right things? I mean, what do you, how do you get it so that what you set out at the beginning either gets readjusted intentionally or, yep. get, or gets, uh, gets completed? That's a really good question. Um, the tools that I use are moderate. Um, the way I do it, we have an annual uh, formal goal setting process that starts mm -hmm. with goals from the CEO and cascade down through the organization. So we have really defined, you know, metrics of what we're trying to accomplish, you know, throughout a throughout a year. Mm -hmm. um, 
I do biweekly touch bases with my with my key team. I've got six direct reports that I um, that I have, and then I have a just to give you an order of magnitude. I have 95 people on my team, and my team is organized with. I've got six key wow. VPs. I've yeah. got six key VPs, and then they've got directors, managers, and then staff underneath all of them, and they wow. span three. And they span three different countries. We've got people here in the U.S. We've got people in uh, Mexico and a team in Brazil. Um, wow. So it's it's a big it's a big job, and it requires constant uh, constant work and communication. So I meet with my my U.S. team biweekly. Um, mm-hmm. I update them on on kind of what's happening in the business that I'm hearing from the rest of my my leadership my executive leadership team. And then I have a list of key projects by by each division that Mm -hmm. uh, the team should be focused on. Um, And I check in on each of those projects and how we're progressing towards the goal on each of those those projects. Those projects tie back to the annual uh, goals that we set. And then we update and modify periodically um, as we Mm -hmm. move move through the year. And I hold very firmly to those those uh, biweekly meetings. And then in between, there's the informal touches on sure. things that are going on, um, with my uh, with my uh, Mexican and Brazilian team, we touch base weekly, just um, as part of what's happening with the business, what's happening with the team, how are we progressing on a couple of these goals. Partly because of the distance, and we don't get the we don't get the regular uh, the regular touch bases like I do with the U.S. team. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point too. You know, since you have a distributed team, you've got these yes. weekly meetings. And of course, these distributed teams are in countries that have completely different cultures. You know, the, <laughs> the South, South American culture much more social than the American culture. How does that right. work for you? How do you how do you how do you try to lead people from a different cultural base? You know, the 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 biggest piece that I uh, that I try to do is I I really focus on making sure that I've hired strength in the leader of that country in the function. So it began with the recruiting process. I've hired both um, uh, regional finance directors in both Mm -hmm. countries. And um, so I I established the relationship from the recruiting process forward, right? So yeah. that that's where it begins. But I really I don't know. I know some of their their teams below them, um, but I, I don't always have the time to be able to connect with all of them. Um, sure. I periodically travel um, to each place and I make sure that when I'm there, I meet with the leader and I try to get informal touch bases with some of the, the team that's around them, whether it's a lunch or a dinner. Yeah. Um, but I, to me, I'm depending more on that country director to really lead the team. So I really. Right. I try to assess their uh, their their uh, formal skills as well as their informal and people skills. Um, you you've got a you've got a, a nice structure going. Okay, so you've got biweekly meetings with your with your U.S. staff, your on-site staff. You've got weekly yep. meetings with those off-site. You sound like you've got your priorities, your goals, things set up. You're asking people questions. You've built yep. enough trust so that yep. they can come to you and say, Eric, I've got a roadblock. You know, help me. What do I do here? You've got all that stuff going. Where did you learn that? <laughs> Great question. Um, I learned it in Excel. So <laughs> I use Excel to manage everything because I'm a finance guy and we live in Excel. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's funny, Chris, I learned it. It's a it's a culmination of, of a lot of things over the years. Um, I've read the books. You know, there's good to great. There's the five minute manager. There's who moved my cheese. There's, you know, there's been a lot of really good literature, you know, in the business marketplace about leadership 
and about uh, org org development, org design. And we're fortunate. A lot of those resources are now instantly available to us, either in book form, audio form, or over the internet in, in various forms. And I have read those books, and I have spent the time you know, listening online, and I've been fortunate. I've been in a couple of companies that had a little bit of formal training. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it was was also learned through mentoring. I've been very fortunate that really since I began my career, I've been able to get access to people in the positions that were ahead of me. And literally from my first job to today, I've had a network of CFOs that I've been able to connect with that have coached me, mentored Mm -hmm. me, and been available to me to talk about what works and what hasn't. And these are guys that have been CFOs of major U.S. corporations that have been anywhere from, call it $50 million companies to multi-billion dollar companies in terms of revenue. Um, so I'm very fortunate that way. Not everybody gets that, you know, gets that experience. But I'll also say that I've learned to be a student of people. And I've learned to be a student of people really through my church um, and through training that I've had from past, a couple of key pastors that have been involved in my life and, and their writings. You know, I'm fortunate I've been a, a member of Saddleback Church for a number of years. And a lot of the content that comes out from Rick Warren has been um, very inspiring and just trying to understand how people work, what mm-hmm. motivates them, where they find purpose and meaning in their lives. And then I try to adapt our business practices and environment to try and meet some of those needs. Can't meet all of them. They're deeper yeah. and ask for questions than, than you know a business will meet. But those have been influential. And I've also had another uh, mentor, uh, pastor, you know, who, who's coached me for 20 odd years, uh, named Chuck Miller, who is mm-hmm. also a leadership development um, individual, and I got a lot of coaching and training, you know, from him as we as we thought about what does it mean to be a leader, what does it mean it, both in business, in church, and just in life. Uh, and I'm fortunate to have had you know those resources available to me along the way. Man, I'll tell you, I love the way that you have both the initiative taking, where you actually went after it, even at times maybe when people weren't that open to giving, or maybe they weren't good at giving you the kind of feedback, but also the pursuing of mentors in your life, both on the business side, the personal side, and how those mix. I mean, listening to you talk, bro, I would like to work for you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Teams. If you have any feedback for us, check out the show notes and pop us an email. We'd love to hear from you.